This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Auth0, authentication made simple for developers. Modern authentication and identity can be hard, but Auth0 makes it easy. With Auth0, you can enable login with any social provider, have multi-factor authentication, single sign-on, and passwordless login all at the flip of a switch. Find out how to add authentication to your Angular 1 or 2 app in under 10 minutes at Auth0.com forward slash Angular. Hello and welcome to Angular Air. On today's show, we have Justin Schwartzberger. Hey, what's going on? And joining us from his paternity leave, uh, thank you for joining us today, is Olivier Cohn. Hello. Olivia, how Olivia, how are things going? Is uh, are you getting any sleep there? Yeah, uh, I'm okay. She's just waking us uh, like three times a night. So <laughs> oh, three times—that's that's nothing, man. You got it easy. <laughs> yeah. And on today's show, we're gonna have uh, a very special guest, Mr. Panda Bear. Hey guys. Austin McDaniel, here to talk about Angular Data Table. So Austin, why don't you give us an introduction to yourself and let us know, uh, people know a little bit about your background for anybody who uh, may not uh, be familiar with what you've done. Yeah, thanks. Um, my name's Austin McDaniel, not Austin Daniels, as Jeff originally had it. <laughs> um, I live in South Florida. And um, I work for a company called Swimline. We do uh, cybersecurity automation software. Um, crap, I've been developing JavaScript now for probably like the past 10 years, way before it was cool, back in the good old days of Dojo and EXTJS. And it's really been fun to watch the community grow and, and just see how awesome it has become. Um, I've been working with Angular for about three years now, and I think Angular really grabbed me by that forms demo that they used to have on the page where you would just make the changes and it would just be magical. Um, since then at work, uh, our application is based all around Angular. We've got about 50,000 lines of Angular 1 code and we're writing all our new stuff in Angular 2. Well, it's funny you bring up the original like Angular One demo that sort of attracts everyone because you, I think that the common mentality is that Angular One is slow. That's like the the thing that people say, right? But the reality is that for normal, you know, smaller use cases, you know, Angular One performance is just fine, in uh, especially when you're just starting out. The problem comes when you have these huge data sets that you're dealing with on the front end. That's where you start running into all sorts of problems. So I, I'd be really interested in hearing some of the background of, uh, you know, getting into that of, you know, uh, obviously you, you sort of mentioned a little bit, but like get into a little bit of uh, when you started creating Angular Data Table and how it came about with Angular 1. Yeah, absolutely. So at Swimlane, we deal with a ton of data. You know, cybersecurity, you're processing all kinds of data and events are flowing in and people need to interact with that very quickly, right? And, you know, there are a lot of arguments that are like, oh, well, you never have that use case that you need to show so much data. Even when you're paring it down with filters and that type of stuff, you've still got a ton of data. Um, we wrote our grid control about a year and a half ago to solve a very specific use case. 
I wanted to show a ton of data as if it were loaded right into the screen. So, I mean, your first thought is like, okay, well, you can do that with Pagination 101. We've all done that. Tables work great. Um, but it doesn't feel natural, and especially when you're working with a ton of data, you want to be able to just, you know, flick your scroll wheel and it just slide down the page and look at your data. I want it to be natural, just like you're kind of viewing it on an iPad or something like that. So next you say virtual scrolling. There's a lot of things that do that, right? Why not just use one of those? When I started looking at all the grids that were out there, you know, you look at, you know, the Telerik grid, right? That's a very full-featured grid. It does a lot of really awesome stuff. And UI grid in Angular 1, they're really awesome, and they're full of features. But the problem is... I don't care about most of those features, to be honest. I Most of my time I spend turning them off or I have to work around them. And sometimes they have limited APIs that just make it hard to deal with that. Um, and, and a lot of those features, so I have those features now that I'm turning off, I'm working around, that's download bloat. So you've got a, you know, a 300 kilobyte table that has all these filtering features that you can't use any of them. And let's say that half of them have controls in there, Let's maybe you want to use one or two of those, and they have these controls in there that, you know, aren't, they don't look anything like what you have, right? So it gets really difficult. You have to start, like, working in this confound box of, like, what they do. One of the other big things I wanted to do when I started, you know, developing this table is make an exp it expressive. Now, what I say, what I mean by that is Angular has an awesome expressive template format that allows me to, you know, basically define my controls and my components with, you know, this great data binding, and, you know, it's, it's very expressive, and then in the JavaScript side, I'm just, you know, marshalling data around and some voodoo stuff. Um, a lot of the grids out there felt like jQuery controls, right? Where you have these, um, you know, huge objects that you construct and you define all your, you know, your column options in them, and then you've got to try to like mangle some HTML. It's almost like you're in React. Just kidding. Um, mangle some HTML into the options and then pass it. It drove me crazy. I wanted to build something where I can, you know, use that as if the cells and their templates were just another, you know, component on my Angular page. So I set off to build something that would be so flexible that it would work for almost any use case with the right elbow grease and make it uber light. So you don't have to worry about bringing in your date picker or, you know, my, me using material date picker and you using Angular UI date picker, etc. We wanted to focus on one thing, and that was displaying your data in the fastest way possible. Bottom line, making the scroll like butter. Oh, I like I that. Like scroll, scroll like butter. butter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was, it was pretty crazy, right? Like, how do you even go about, you know, building a table that's going to be so fast that you can give it, you know, let's say half a million rows, right? So... I don't know if you guys know how, you know, kind of this virtual scrolling type stuff works, so I'll give you a quick overview. It's pretty common sense that 
if you have a bunch of stuff on your screen, it's going to load slow, right? And basically what, even if you have, you know, let, let's say the browsers were so awesome we could draw 500 things on the screen. And they would just render super fast. Well, you can only see what's in your screen. So it doesn't really matter what's the rest of on the page, right? So what we can do is we can actually, like, um, you know, if I, have a, if I have a component, it's got a fixed viewport. Let's say it's viewport that, you know, the total size of the table is 300 pixels. You've got a header and you've got a fun footer with, you know, little pagers and stuff like that. And those are both 50 pixels. And now I have, um, I define my rows, and the rows, let's just say, are always 50 pixels as well. One trick that you have to know about virtual scrolling, this is so frustrating, I don't know a better way, maybe you guys do, um, but the rows have to always be a fixed height, right? So you can't say, this row is going to be 10 pixels, this one's going to be 100, right? They've always got to be a fixed height. Well, and unless uh, you're able to overestimate. Then my scroll bar doesn't actually represent the true value of how many rows are on the screen. Yeah, but I'm saying even if you load like a little bit more than you need to, like you can guesstimate sometimes. Yeah, there are some times where you can kind of, um, I'm hoping for a pull request after this. <laughs> um, from what I was doing, I, I wasn't able to figure out like a clever way because I wanted the scroll bar to actually reflect the true row offset, right? So if I have 100,000 rows, I know that I did this math before. I'm not this great at math. I know that those are 5 million pixels high if they're 50 pixels. So I know exactly how many I want, uh, how many rows will be there. And... I can use that, so I've got the 300, I'm, I subtract my header and footer, and I now know that my like page limit is four, right? I can only show four rows in that size. So now I make a request to my server, I say I want four rows, the first page, la-di-da, it returns me and says, here's your first four rows, you have 100,000 on the back end though. And that's awesome. We've drawn, we've taken that, and we've drawn our four rows on our screen. We're so proud of ourselves. <laughs> um, and now what we do is we take that hundred thousand and we calculate that. So the five million or the five million pixels that I said, and we have a wrapper around that that says that's got the that's the height of that. So it seems like now in my um, in my data table that I've got all hundred thousand. The scroll bar represents that, etc. That's, that's cool. Now we actually need to make it work. <laughs> um, so in order for you to make it work, you know, as you scroll, you essentially need to go and get the next page every time, right? So go and get the next page. Um, what I started off was naively just saying, okay, well, I'll go and get the next page and just append it. Just keep appending the DOM while well, you end up in the same problem that we started off with. Just you get there a little slower a little later on. Um, so what you kind of have to do is you actually have to make it where only those four rows are ever rendered. Well, if there's only four rows rendered, like, 
what you have to do is you actually have to absolutely position those rows to always be in the screen as you scroll. It's pretty fun, right? And now, as I scroll, I just get the next page that I need and reset the data inside those four rows. That's pretty much how it works. I've got some secret sauce in mind, though. Um, you guys probably know, like, DOM teardown and rebuild is very expensive, especially in Angular 1, right? Every time you scroll, you know, typically what you would do is you would tear that DOM down and um, you would rebuild it. Well, I spent a lot of time, like, trying to write my own NG4 loop. Like, you've seen all those tutorials out there that show you how to do that stuff. And it was awesome. It was so fast, but it didn't work. <laughs> um, and uh, it worked, but it just it didn't hook to any of the digests. I couldn't use my controls inside of it, etc. So what I learned was why even remove those rows? Just supplement the data back into those. So now all I've got changing is the inner HTML of that one particular cell. Awesome. Now the next trick is really fun. A lot of people would do absolute positioning to, to position that. That's what I started off with. What's better is using, using request animation frame and then using translation so that you can move that calculation to your GPU so it's just always like butter. So those are the fun things that uh, uh, virtual scrolling kind of entails. So now let's talk about Angular 1. <laughs> Wait, wait, I, I do have a couple of questions really quick. Yeah. So like, um, you mentioned about some of the challenges with kind of drawing to the DOM, right? But, and for sure, drawing large sets of data is a challenge. But when you're dealing with like huge data sets like that, it's also just even querying it from the back end can be uh, cumbersome as well. So when you're doing like, uh, you know, really performant paging, it's got to be like full stack. Um, mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, does Angular Data Table basically include the back end portion of things, or you basically like leave it up to the implementer to, you know, make sure that their API only returns you know certain portions of data and that type of thing? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's like again, we wanted to not make determinations about how you filter, how you you know, page or get your data or anything like that. And it doesn't really care. It's going to tell you when it hits the next page and you just say, here's your next data set. So as you're scrolling, right, you it's emitting that the page changed just like a normal pager would. Um, and then you just insert your data into it. And it just knows how to render based on that. And then the other thing, um, I mean, I guess as far as the scrolling goes, what you're saying, like in terms of like just changing the inner HTML for like essentially the values of each of the cells, right? Mm -hmm. That I could see totally makes sense when you are using like fixed height and it is just data. But I guess that that means that people, your your typical or your use case is not including um, leveraging it for other stuff because it just if you think more in terms of just grid layout not mm -hmm. necessarily data table um, grid layout there's all sorts of 
stuff where I mean it wouldn't be necessarily fixed height. It would, and it would be all sorts of different rich objects and that type of thing that you would be displaying just in a grid format. So it sounds like the thing that you focus on is is not necessarily just generalized grid table, but really specifically for displaying data. Actually, um, you can turn scroll the scroll bar off, and it renders it in a traditional data table, just like it's a normal table, right? So the scroll bar, the virtual scrolling, it's all optional, right? I've already, you know, I spent the time to build this fancy table. Why not just have an option where you can make it just like a traditional table? We're going to take a quick break to hear about ThoughtRam. ThoughtRam. Extend your memory. Want to get up and running with the Angular framework, but don't have the time to read through all the documentation and tutorials on the internet? ThoughtRam's Angular Masterclass may be perfect for you. Check it out today at thoughtram.io forward slash training. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we left off. Um, And then another thing, like you were talking about, you know, I might have data that's all kinds of different formats. That's the awesome thing about it is, you know, you can hook, because I give you like, full access to your scope in Angular 1 and, and your components, and you can do whatever you want inside of it. So if you need to have virtual scrolling because you have a lot of objects, you can do things like, and I've done these, where maybe it has like an ellipsis and I hover over it and I get the exploded view of it. Or maybe if it's interesting, I can click it and like explode it on top of the views. So there's a lot of different ways that you can deal with those type of problems um, without with the fixed height issue. I think since we're on the topic of the scroll bar too, uh, I think that's really one of the crutches here when we talk about virtual scrolling, infinite scrolling, that um, it seems like that's the, the least common denominator that we end up dealing with falling back to is like how do we support this stinking scroll bar, right? And I kind of like to look at it and see, do we even need that from a UI perspective? Like, what is that benefiting the end user? Is the scroll bar really giving somebody anything? And if we eliminated that, would we be able to focus more on you know, all these other things and, and kind of make it easier on ourselves and, and maybe actually make a better experience for an end user? I mean, when you talk about something that you don't know, it, there's 100K total records, right? And somebody's just gradually loading in more. Um, the scroll bar is really not telling the user anything in particular, except for at that given moment, this is how many you've actually displayed, right? Um, so if that was out of the picture, could we have like an actual better experience and then make it easier for us as developers to have <laughs> to build this stuff? Because I mean, I built many of these and I know. Um, and along that lines too, um, you know, you blasted us with with all this little insight about how you're pulling off all this performance stuff, and I just want to make sure that that doesn't get overlooked. Of, of you know, when you when somebody takes on the job of having to build this infinite scroll or this virtual scroll thing, there are so many aspects of it, right? And uh, the fact that you're thinking about all these things and you're applying all these things to this. Um, data table solution here uh, needs to be valued in a sense that, look, if I, if I bring this into my project, I'm getting all this stuff that, you know, that I would have to build myself. And that's, that's a big, big plus for this product. So I want to just yeah. make sure it gets covered. So um, you, were, you were talking about, you know, the scroll bar and the experience, and that's something I wrestle with all the time, right? Like, you know, part of being a UI developer is, 
um, you know, making the experience awesome. You know, whether you've got fancy designers helping you or it's just yourself, you you want to make the experience the best for it can be for the user. Um, in our scenario, right? So if you take a if you take a step back and you you kind of think about um, what our product does at Swimlane, it's we're dealing with tons and tons of data. And even, you know, typical, like, data analysis is you start trying to cut the data back, right? Like, I apply filters and grouping and all this type of stuff. But even with my scenario, when you do that, you still have hundreds and hundreds of rows, right? So it, even if I start pairing the data back, I could, you know, start with 100,000, and I might pair it back to 1,000. And my job is I want to skim through this data because I've got so much through with it. I want to skim through this data and see if anything sticks out to me. And then I can start, you know, pivoting more on that data, right? So it's kind of like, you know, charts. You have a huge chart and there's all kinds of values and you start drilling into it. And that's kind of the experience with uh, tubular data that we're trying to accomplish and it has a lot more difficulties, as you talked about, than just you know, with charts and things of that matter. Yeah, but just to Justin's point, one thing I, I definitely agree with, um, well, both of you, actually, that there's always going to be a need to display all the raw data because of some of the stuff you were talking about, Austin, that sometimes, like, the analyst kind of can discern just from kind of viewing things in that format, you know, it discerns certain... Um, introspections, but I also think that people overuse that sometimes, that the default shouldn't be to just throw up a bunch of data on a page. A lot of times it's, it takes more effort and more thinking on behalf of the product designer, but for uh, in many use cases I've seen that it's more beneficial if you just narrow in and like simplifying and displaying just like smaller data, one, one thing, like the key thing, and then obviously if the user is a power user or, or they, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, need to, they can dive into that. But that shouldn't be your like first option. You know what I mean? Yeah, you should never drop 100,000 rows onto the screen. <laughs> just give them everything. You're absolutely right. Um, well, and also, you know, looking at what are they trying to discover with your data? Are they trying to just kind of do data discovery and, and looking through it, right? And that's maybe you got this virtual scroll and I'm just looking at a bunch of stuff. Or are they grabbing records and they want to flip through those records, right? And they're going, look, I, I want to get to customer that starts with the letter B and it's going to be this much down. You know, those are two different um, mm. data delivery and use cases that, should warrant different experiences, right? Well, and actually, Absolutely. with what you're saying, Justin, uh, also there's a difference between whether it's a repeatable thing or non-repeatable. Like if if someone does find something and has to scroll through in order to find certain patterns or whatever, but it's the he does he or she does the same thing like multiple times, like you know many times over. That should be something that you should instead like build the mechanism to do whatever that pattern is that they're doing, you know what I mean, and roll it out. Um, but it's one more really of the type of thing, it's, if it's sort of unknown, like it's it's totally in the wild and discovery and like there's no like preset pattern. Yeah, so one thing, and, and that's a great note, right? So virtual scrolling is really awesome, you can flip through the data really fast, but it, it definitely has its use cases. And 
you know, when you're scrolling through this and, and you're, you know, trying to pivot on the data and narrow it down and things like that, if you have this huge scroll bar, like, you can lose context. One of the really interesting things, I don't know why no one does this. It was pretty hard to get it right, but um, one of the really cool things that we did with this table was actually implement a traditional pager along with the virtual pager. So as I'm scrolling, it represents where I'm at on that particular page. You already know that data because you had to calculate the offset, etc. What The really tricky part is actually if I'm in that data set, clicking the button and jumping to like page five or something like that, that's a little tricky. Um, I actually just found a bug in this uh, this morning. Um, but I, we've done it. And, and you can see it when we talk about our demos here later, as I scroll, the pager is always reflecting and it's spinning to represent where I'm at so a user has context. And does it change the route as well, like you, you mentioned, that uh, as, you're, as you're kind of going through the data? Um, do you mean like URL route or...? Yeah, because um, I've seen that it, there's different variations of this, and again, it's not every use case they would want this, but in some cases you would want the state like in the that's reflected within the URL to be modified as you kind of page through. You're like, okay, you're on the third page that's there in the route so that if somebody copies and pastes that, they would go directly to that third page down. You know what I mean? That's an awesome idea. I actually hadn't thought about that. I'm going to make a feature request right now, I think. No, <laughs> I'll assign it to you. First one's free. Next one will cost you a dollar. <laughs> I'll assign the feature request to you for a PR. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But you, speaking of the demos, yeah, I, I'd love to see you. And you were starting to um, get into talk about Angular 1. I, I'd definitely love to see some of this if you wanted to maybe share your screen. Yeah, let me just real quick before we dive into that, talk about, you know, Angular 1. Um, so like I said, we, we started this about a year and a half ago, and Angular 2 was like at, at script time. It was like far off. And so we built it in Angular 1. That Angular never 1. happened. That's what never <laughs> yeah, happened. Yeah. Um, it's a good thing. Um, Angular 1 is really awesome. That form demo was really cool. But man, building this in Angular 1 was insane. <laughs> um, making a very performant grid was a whole nother feat. So some of the like really big challenges I had... Um, I talked about expressive templates. In Angular 1, it's kind of like you have transclusion, and that's it. It just eats the DOM inside of it. Um, so in order to, like, get these expressive templates, we I had to, like, circumvent the template system, sniff out the column definitions that a user might have defined in there before the template compiled, save those into a temporary cache, and then when the page compiled, those would be gone, of course, and then read that from the cache. Uh, you heard my brain. <laughs> the scopes were another crazy thing. So you want to have this, like, as fast as possible. You've got to, like, you know, we're talking about digest scopes here. You've got to get your, you know, those Angular 1 scopes to be isolated, right? You don't want all of this going on and, and, and everything triggering each other. So I made everything, you know, have an isolated scope. That was awesome until 
you actually wanted to uh, use outer scope, right? Like, what if I have like a like a setting up here, and I want to apply it to all my cell templates? Well, I have no idea of that outer scope, so I had to actually dynamically create a scope from the outer scope, transpose the row and cell values onto it, and then pass it to the compiler to render. We'll show you this here in a second. It's fun. <laughs> right. And then, and then I, I talked about how we moved it up and down, right? So you use, like, you, you use the index of the row to kind of move it up and down. I talked about that. I started off with ng style. Angular 1's awesome. It's got bindings. I can just bind it to ng style, run a quick calc. Yeah, it was a dog. It just cannot keep up with when I'm ticking through so many rows. So what I had to do is I actually had to bypass the whole uh, cell or row-like style transposition where I would hook to the cells and register them, and then as a user scrolled, I would then find that cell again and update the offset. It kind of sucks. But in the story, we made it work. We've been using that table in our production app for about a year and a half. Um, and it's got a decent amount of stars. It's one of the bigger projects I've had. Um, and then a lot of people are using it, and they're really happy with it. So I'm glad that we were able to do that. So let's, let's take a quick look at some of the things I talked about, and then I'll talk about how awesome it was in Angular 2. <laughs> cool. Which oh, I've got the wrong one up. Yeah, there we go. You want to just uh, bump up your font a minute? Yeah. Is that good? Yeah, it's good. Cool. So I, I just talked about the um, basically having to circumvent the ng style. Right, so this is like the the mad crazy hack that I had to do. Where basically I've, uh, by the way, this table is all ES6. It's not TypeScript or anything. Um, basically, I have this style translator, and it tells it the height, right? And when a new row is rendered, here we go. When a new row is rendered, I am attaching the row to it and the row's index. So much fun. <laughs> and then as you scroll, as you scroll, I'm calling this update page, and then I'm calling this get rows function, which actually comes back here, and it updates the rows. So I'm just iterating through all the DOM and then calling this translate function to move it to the new index. That was not fun. And then you got to think about like memory links, right? Like when I, you know, if I resize my screen and now there's not that many things on the screen, right? It responds to that and you've got to have this thing re-register itself and tear down the old DOM. So there's a lot of fun that was going on with this. But I was not happy until it scrolled like butter. <laughs> So one of the other things I talked about that was really fun, not, 
uh, was the uh, the actual um, creating the scopes, right? So you wanted to have, right? You wanted to be able to use uh, attributes from the outer scope of the table, but have the whole table to be enclosed itself, right? So what you have to do, <laughs> you have to watch for the row value to change, tear down your old scope, create a new cell scope, where that's at, where I create a new scope from the outer scope, then set the value to that. Reset my watchers, reset my values, and then use that, empty the content, call the compiler, and append it into the DOM. Yeah, that, was, that one was really fun. We're going to break for a moment for a message from Angular Class. This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Angular Class. If you're looking to learn the latest and greatest in modern web development techniques, or you need Angular 2 training, then sign up today at angularclass.com. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we left off. Wow. I've been doing Angular 2 for so long that watching, uh, reading Angular 1 code is hurting my brain. <laughs> yeah, it's a little hard to go back. Yeah. And then one of the... Uh, oh, go ahead. No, I'm done. One of the other really cool things that um, I talked about that was challenging was the expressive templates, right? You want to... And let's actually... I think I have a demo in here. Let's look at what I mean by expressive, right? Because some people might not, not quite know what that means. So expressive means instead of defining these in... Keep, guys, keep in mind this is Angular 1. Um, in, instead of, you know, defining my columns in an options property, I can define them in my markup as if they're other components. So I can do things like, you know, just define it just flat out, or I can, you know, give it templates where, you know, I can, I'm reading the cell value here, and then monkey is a value on the outer scope here. Monkey is. <laughs> um, and then, you know, down here the same, right, where I want to, I'm actually doing a repeat inside of this template and repeating all the values. So this is what I'm calling, this is what I call kind of expressive templates. It's, it's letting you use Angular's, you know, awesome template framework and, and defining your options in that instead of an object like you used to do in jQuery. So if we jump back here, you know, in Angular 1, you've only got transclusion, right? It's, it's, you're using, um, I forgot what it's called now. <laughs> I haven't done Angular 1 in so long. ng content or whatever it was. And if it's not in that, then it's gone. It just eats it. Well, I started off by trying to get this thing to use ng content. That seems like the first obvious choice, right? Problem with that is, by the time that renders ng content, the data has already all, the whole table's built itself, right? Like ng content's the last thing, as it should be. The whole table's already built itself. So I needed a way before the table compiled to 
get those DOM elements and transpose those into objects because they're all actually objects in the background, even though I made that big rant about I hate objects. <laughs> you shouldn't use objects. Um, but it transposes those into there. Well, something that's really fun that I found is template actually accepts a function, and it passes that element. So what I did was I hijacked that element, and then I grabbed all the columns, created a random ID, and then saved the columns to a service. And then when my body, or when my, my uh, oh wait, it's over here. When this initialized, what I would do is I would call that table and say build columns, and build columns would iterate through the um, columns that I gave it and, and uh, that were stored in that object and then transpose those into normal columns, objects, as if they were there. Um, nothing else interesting here. So I guess in summary, like the Angular 1 solution is like a bunch of pretty insane hacks to get the type of performance that you want with the given functionality. Yeah, it was... It was challenging for sure. It made you know. It makes you a uh, awesome coder. <laughs> you learn a lot about. Well, yeah, you, you, know, you gotta understand how Angular One is working under the scenes in many cases, especially with some of those custom directives that you have. Yeah. So this is um, this is actually the Angular One component. So um, I just wanted to have, give you guys a little fun here. Um, that. Where it is out there on GitHub. It's Angular data table instead of Angular 2 data table. And so you can see it might be a little hard to see. Just believe me, it's butter. <laughs> um, you can see just as I scroll through these, it just flies. So that was really fun. And, you know, we can kind of look at this, and you can, if we look at the DOM here, go away. Um... Uh, this might be a little hard to see. How do you up your font on these? Is it the same? Oh, yeah. There we go. Uh, command and... Yeah. Plus, yeah. So you see here... Um, I resized my... I resized this. Here we go. Here's the body. I resize this, and I've only got a couple rows actually rendered on the screen. So there's not, there's 100,000 rows in the data object behind this, but I've only got just a handful here. And you can see my, um, my transform here, where I did this translate 3D, and I set a crazy offset here for that Y offset. With the way that you're can, can you? Yeah, sorry. Can you sort the the columns by clicking on the header, and this kind of stuff? Because yeah. you just talked about uh, virtual scroll, but I guess that you have other option available. Yeah, you absolutely can. Oh, it worked. I didn't think. <laughs> I wasn't prepared to demo that. <laughs> um, it did work though, so you can you can you know click this and, and sort these. Um, I'll go into some of the uh, options that that the new one has, um, uh, and and this one has quite a bit more options though. 
um, than our new one. But again, I'm not. The options that we have are not. You know, we're not trying to make assumptions about your data or how you filter it or anything like that. We just want to give you a way to, you know, kind of show your data. If we looked at some of the demos here, um, you can see some of the, you know, that that expressive column templates, right? So I've got, uh, I've actually got a D3 chart inside here and a cat. That's a random GIF. And, you know, I can do checkbox selection, right? And, you know, we've got click selection. These are all things that are important about dealing with your data, it, but not necessarily about how you get it to there. Um, when you're scrolling, are you able to click and press on the scroll bar and move it up and down? Oh, yeah. It wouldn't because, be yeah, let's go back over here. Maybe I'm not just not thinking about things right. So, but how does that work if, if data is not actually on the screen, or are you replacing when it when it scrolls down? I forget whether you said like the stuff that goes off the screen up above is that removed from the DOM or is that kept in the DOM? Oh, technically, what you see on this page stays the same. So these rows actually never tear down. They ne they never leave the screen. All I do is replace their inner values here. I replace Arizona with Oklahoma. So how does that, uh, maybe I'm, I should probably know this, but uh, how does that work with the scroll bar? Because technically speaking, the actual window is not changing, right? You're, you're just essentially changing the values of the cells. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, as I scroll, like I said, I'm, I'm actually moving the cells translate Y as you scroll to represent where that particular row should be at in the, um, in the, in the page. But really, all you're doing is, so if you see this, it's, it's really tricky and it's really hard to catch. But you see it's moving here. Um, if I scroll really fast, you'll see that, that that never leaves the screen, right? Like if I was normal scrolling, that that hover would have left, right? But because I'm actually not moving anything, it kind of it kind of looks a little weird. Uh, you see how it just jumped backwards. Okay, so you have um, a div on the background with a, a fixed height, and you scroll into that that div, and then you move the the, yeah, the rows over it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a look at the code here. Um, okay, so is this the first one? Yes, this is the first row. So. If we look right here at my, my translate, so you can see that row is never leaving. That row never left. All I'm doing is updating whether it's even or odd and the translate. Okay, nice. And um, how stillable uh, is your, your grid? Because uh, one thing that we usually 
have to do when we import a, an external library like this is to style it to look like it's integrated into our, our application. Yeah, that's that's another great thing, right? Like because I didn't try to, you know, solve world hunger with filtering data and all those different types of things, it it's pretty much the data that you're showing in here, right? I'm showing Missouri. The data that you're showing is you know, if you want to use a date picker there, you can use a date picker, right? Or And you can use your date picker. You don't have to worry about styling all those crazy different things. It's rows, columns, and your components. So let's, let's talk about, um, so we talked about, uh, like, all the crazy stuff that we had to do in order to make that work right, make this work like we wanted for Angular 2. Um, like I said, we have a huge Angular 1 app. We're upgrading our app, you know, kind of one piece at a time. And, you know, I actually had a major new feature, feature that was on the grid page. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, I get to rewrite this in Angular 2. Well, actually, naively, I thought, oh, I'll just use ng-upgrade. I can upgrade this component. Super. No big deal. Yeah, it 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 just laughed at me when I tried to do it. Well, I mean, I, I think that uh, a lot of the upgrade path stuff really does depend on you sort of fitting into a certain box, and right. just just the fact that you do so much custom DOM manipulation. Like, I can't anyone who does like custom directives in general, I think, don't fit in because there's so many things you can do, like in the, the guts, just like you're doing, <laughs> to, uh, that it just, there's no way that you can automatically upgrade that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I don't think that a lot of people realize is in order to upgrade one of those components, it's actually got to be the new component. Uh, I think I'm right. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff. But it's actually got to be the new component. You can't just upgrade random directives, right? Well, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Is that there, there's no translation of, of custom directives to the, yeah. the Angular 2. The, the paradigm is different. It's it's more like the, the upgrade path is for at the higher level, like your application level logic and that type of thing. Um, but yeah, so I could imagine that you, it was probably a full rewrite for you, right? Yeah, I, I thought about just you know porting it straight up, and I was like, or, or just fixing the problems, right? I. I Spent about an hour trying to fill out if I could just fix some of the upgrade issues before I realized this is just why. <laughs> um, so I, I plunged down this road again, writing <laughs> um, a grid. Uh, now I'm going to do it in Angular 2 where there's like no documentation. This was around beta or RC0, something like that. So I'm like, yes, again. <laughs> I've gotten pretty good at this now, by the way. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, uh, we're doing a lot of black magic, like you said, right? And in order to kind of, you know, I started looking at how I could accomplish those specific things, right? And I, I mentioned some of the documentation quite wasn't there. And I just started playing. But I quickly kind of once I got a feel for things that were going on, I was quickly able to like 
you know, just hit it. And I'm really excited because the Angular 2 version has zero hacks. There are zero hacks like I demonstrated. Let's, uh, let's actually dive right into that because I just realized because we've been diving so much into this subject that we're already getting near the top of the hour here. So we should. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let, let's talk about the expressive thing. In my opinion, that's one of the harder issues, right? So Angular 2 actually has, um, I have an expressive demo here. Angular 2 actually has these templates. And basically what I did was in, you define your data table, right? And then these data table column, this is just another component. And so what I can do in my, in my data table now, I can say, let's grab those content children and translate those into columns. Awesome. So I just got the expressive part there. Well, the second part of the expressive part is the templates, right? So that first one was easy. The templates, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a nightmare. Um, it was insanely easy once I figured out how to do it. <laughs> um, the templates, there's this new template tag, and you can say let value, um, and basically you can say, I want to take, you know, whatever is in the context of this component here and pass that into my template. So basically you can transpose these scope values into your template. This template can actually also share the outer scope, as we'll call it. <laughs> it can also share that. So right there, I was able to, you know, do that template, do the expressive templates, use the new template tags here, transpose scopes, and access outer scopes with zero hacks. And some there's some really cool things in here. Um, we won't have time to capture them all, but um, basically... Let's actually go to the cell. Basically, I say, if you're using a template, right? So if there was a template detected, then we want to use this directive called template wrapper, and it passes the, um, the value, the row, the column, and the, and the template. And template wrapper is a, um, it's basically just a template ref. What it will do is it will use, um, template refs and automatically listen for changes on your on our input here for our, our values and our columns and things, listens for changes, destroys the old one, creates a new embedded view, passes the context of our row, column, and value to that, and now I've got, I've basically taken the template that a user defined inside this and created it on the fly for each row using the template refs and, and let the user actually pass in whatever values they want using this, this new let capability. Super awesome. The other thing that we had a lot of challenges with um, in the old solution was um, styles, or right? Like, I talked about how I had to bypass the whole styles and things like that. Well, Angular 2 is super awesome and fast. So, where is it at? 
Git row styles. So I'm actually able to use ng style now, and I'm actually able to translate the offset at just during normal scroll. So no more registration hacks or anything like that. I'm able to now just do all that with normal scroll. So we showed the Angular 1 demo. Um, let's show the Angular 2 demo real quick. All right, so I'm going to leave this. Um, by the way, the project's out there. Um, Jeff's going to send a link to it after, after the call. It's got decent docs, I feel like, <laughs> um, and quite a bit of uh, Plunker code samples that you can actually hit up. Um, we talked about, you know, just what if I want to just have a normal table, right? So I've got a basic example here that, you know, shows you how to do that normal table. And Jeff, you know, you said, what if I, you know, don't know how, how tall my rows is? Well, we've also got, you know, an example of illustrating that. But the thing that everyone wants to see is the virtual scroll. So let's actually open up our, ins our inspect tools here. Right, so you can see there's 100,000 rows here. I've got just a handful rendered. I actually cheat and double up the number of available rows on the screen. That way, if you scroll one down, you don't have to wait. Um, but here you can see I'm just scrolling. You see none of that. There's no very fluid, probably doesn't look fluid on Hangouts, but it's very fluid. You can see we've got the same concept where we're not even changing the data in here, and we're just moving those rows like that. Oh, and you guys, I did mention also the, the pager down here. It actually reflects where you're at, so I can take this and go all the way to the top, and it shows me where it's at. Don't ask me to click on one of these because I just found that it was broken a little earlier. <laughs> But it is, I have already done it um, for Angular 1. I just got to make the right fix. No, that's awesome. I mean, it looks like all of the great functionality of Angular Data Table 1 with a lot less code. Yeah, it, it's really great. Um, I, I have some other examples of how to use template refs. So you, you don't even always, with my fun American Psycho, you don't even always have to use, um, you know, the expressive templates. You can say, what if I have a, this is probably super hard to see, what if I, you know, oh, Plunker, what if I, you know, have a template that I want to use, right, um, that's defined somewhere else, I can actually still use it by just passing that template ref, and it just works the same way. What if I have a component? Same thing. Um, there is... I don't think I actually have a component example in here, but because I'm using the same thing that Angular 2 is, is kind of using under the hood to create those views, the... You know, the components, it, it's just HTML that's being compiled by Angular 2, so it's, it's nothing crazy. Here you can see I've got a histogram, or, you know, I'm displaying some, some styles for the, the age. School, cool. uh, we are right near the top of the hour, so we're going to have to move to pick, but are you, 
do really appreciate you coming on and showing us this. Uh, I think that it's an awesome project. I encourage everyone listening to check it out if you have, you know, uh, need to display large sets of data. Um, obviously, Austin's like worked out all sorts of you know, deep technical problems that you just don't want to deal with. So it, it, rather than uh, kind of retread those same waters, just check out this and, and contribute. Like I'm sure, Austin, you would uh, appreciate contributions, right? Love it. We're on, uh, we actually have, uh, I've actually got it hooked up to Gitter. We've been in there all the time chatting about how, different ways to use it. I actually have spent more time jacking with the TypeScript build <laughs> than it took me to write virtual scrolling. <laughs> well, port it from Angular 1, we'll say. Um, so we've had a couple of build issues lately. The community's been really great. We're, we're integrating it with Angular CLI. Uh, we're continuing to build out examples. There's not very many tests, so if people like writing tests. <laughs> oh, definitely. You got to... It, seriously, I know there's a lot of you out there. Jump on the project, write some tests. It'll be great. It's the best way to learn. Yes. All right, let's get to picks. And Olivier, why don't you start off? Uh, good question. I don't know if I have any picks uh, today. Um, no, not really. Uh, I'm just going to try this this grid because uh, I've been using uh, AG grid uh, that you might know, but I had a hard time styling it the way I want. Um, so I think this, this grid is going to be my pick today. And also, uh, we've got, we're coming to the end of uh, the summer uh, in a few weeks. And then we're going to have a lot of conferences. Um, be sure to, to follow us for Air, Angular Connect and uh, probably all of the other con conferences that are coming uh, after that. So, yeah. Yeah, actually, September is a crazy month for conferences. Um, there's just a, yeah. a lot of them. The Angular Remote Conf is also in September. Uh, Angular Summit in Boston. You, you mentioned Angular Connect. Um, and a lot of, obviously, non-Angular ones, too. Uh, Austin, what were you going to say on that? I was going to say... Uh, spoiler alert, but Olivier and I have been working on a Angular 2 um, graph uh, chart framework that um, uses Angular 2 to actually render the SVGs. It's not public yet, but yeah. it, it's coming. Oh. I, I wasn't sure that you wanted to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's coming, so... No, that sounds cool. I, I mean, because there's the, the I forgot the name of it, there's the high charts, I think. You can pay for that, right? So you, this is, like, on par with that? Yeah. Uh, this one using, is using uh, D3. Yeah, but, I mean, same use, like, you need to display some, some graphs. charts. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. so it's composable charts. We um, broke, you know, it, it's the same as the grid, right? Um, we broke them down. Each bar is its own component, and if you want a multi-dimensional like bar chart, you just compile all the components together, and it's really awesome. Awesome, uh, Justin. 
Cool. Well, I'm going to use that as my pick. So if I could get an early link for that, I'll just put that. <laughs> um, actually, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, since we're talking about kind of transclusion and stuff like that, I'm going to go with the whole NG content uh, concept inside of Angular 2 as something that's definitely worthwhile to look into, um, not just for a, a single slot, but the ability to have multiple NG contents or slots inside your components and be able to target those so that in implementation uh, you can exp have people use your component and be able to push in other pieces into specific spots so you can kind of uh, control layout and, and composition there from your component. Uh, it's pretty sweet. So I'll, I'll get a link or two. Uh, Todd Motto has a pretty good article back in March about it and stuff, so I'll throw some of those in the show notes. Um, get people looking to that. Speaking of Todd Motto, my one pick is going to be the show next week. I'm going to be on vacation, uh, but I think Justin Olivier is going to be on, and Todd's going to be here for the Todd show, so definitely uh, check that out. Uh, I'll be back, in, and, and then we'll have a week off after that, and then we're going to do a two for Tuesday on September 6th. Welcome back to the school year, etc. cetera, um, with... Um, Apollo, and GraphQL and Apollo with Yuri Goldstein, and then uh, the NG1 to NG2 upgrade path and getting to the details of that with Joe Eames, who is very passionate about that subject. So a lot of great stuff in store. Uh, I'm getting kicked out of this room, so I, I got to close off. But uh, thank you, Austin, for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Olivier, for joining us uh, on your vacation. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, see you. See ya. All right. Bye. All right, see ya.